0: Welcome to Salt Company, guys. Hope you guys are doing well. Guys, I'm not going to lie. This is a pretty special Thursday. I'm not preaching, which is good for me, and it's good for you. Okay, so in a moment, I'm going to introduce our guest speaker, and then I'm going to say a bunch of things about him, and then when he comes up, you're going to go crazy, okay? He's going to come up, and then you're going to go crazy. All right, here's the thing. John. John is coming. He has really nice boots. So when you see his boots, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, but the incredible boots... Let me actually talk about his qualifications, okay? Uh, John LaRabia is a man that loves his wife and his family really, really well and has spent his whole life mobilizing people from America to go overseas and has spent a lot of his life overseas spreading the gospel to all the nations. And so he's a man that I respect, that I love, I trust, and I'm so glad that he's with us today. Give it up for John LaRabia. Oh good job. Good job. All right.
1: That was good. That was good. You did tell him twice.
0: I did tell him twice. To yeah. It's very you important. You
1: about my boots now I feel like there's Do you, be do you a need lot a of... do you need a stand oh, thing? You got to get the stand, get yeah, the stand I just thing. Feel okay. Like I should come
0: up here. No, first. no, that's great. All right, here's <laughs> the thing guys. John's not from Minnesota so he wanted me to do some trivia. Two questions. First question is and we're giving away swag. We're going to give away swag to people who get this answer right. First question, okay. Vikings player got two kick return touchdowns this year. Okay, so that's you gotta, you gotta throw that. Whoa, okay. That's like, Parker, you can, can you do this? Oh, can man, you, Let's see. This is, this is gonna be really tough. This might be an exercise in futility. Boom. Yep. Okay, we'll get it to you. Yeah, it's a all t-shirt. right. <laughs> Parker, you're fine. We still love you. Okay, second <laughs> trivia question of the day Best bang Maybe. for buck ice cream in the Twin Cities? Nelson's. I heard, I heard it's it Nelson's. Down. Who said it? Was I heard, heard it down here. Nelson's. Oh, you heard it down here?
1: Uh, I mean, somewhere
0: in here. Just give it a throw. Not yeah. up there. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. All right. John the Rave, everyone. Come Thank on. You. Very exciting. Hey,
1: okay. And um, I'm going to give away a third. I don't have it on me. You have to stay for the late night. But I have to do this because, well, yeah. Who is the receiver from LSU that stars in Minnesota every? Yeah, you come find me. So I'm from Baton Rouge. (laughs) Justin Jefferson is, let's go. So, I mean, I love some Justin Jefferson. He's my son's favorite player. So I got to give a shirt away for Justin Jefferson. That was fast. That was fast. Let's go. Um, So, man, I am super encouraged to be with you guys. I've heard the stories Um, that this is rowdy, that the room is dark, but there are things happening. People are getting saved, that 15 people are getting baptized, but that y'all have had over 32 already this year. That's incredible. That really is. And so tonight, we're going to jump into um, the book of Psalms. We're going to look at one small chapter. We're going to have one big question. So if you have a Bible or a phone or device, turn to Psalm 67, um, and we'll read that together. And for the reading of the word, would you stand, please? Thank you. All right. Psalm 67. I heard someone trying to remind themselves there. Here we got it. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So Tony mentioned this, but I spent 11 years of my life um, with my wife living in China as a missionary and spent 20 years going there from college to right before COVID. And so that's a little bit of like my background that we're going to talk more about at late night, but... um, my one passion in all those years he said i've been mobilizing people my entire life i have not until 21 i was smoking pot and doing a lot of other things i was mobilizing people to hang to do other stuff in life not for jesus but since i turned since 21 and turned to christ like yes and one passion is to see people fall in love with jesus and go to the ends of the earth with that message and so i want to ask you this one question tonight that's going to kind of guide our time so don't answer too quickly And if you want to shout it out, you can, but just really it's for you. Um, But I'm going to steal this. This is a question that a pastor that's had a great impact on my life asks often. He says, do you feel more loved by God when he makes much of you or when God at great cost to his son frees you to enjoy making much of him forever? So I'm going to ask the question again. Do you feel more loved by God when he makes much of you or when God at great cost to his son Jesus frees you to enjoy making much of him forever. We have one truth from this psalm we're gonna see and it's that God has poured out extravagant grace on his people for the sake of his extravagant glory to the ends of the earth. God has blessed his people so that we can be a blessing among all nations and so we're gonna see that in Psalm 67 so look there with me Again, and you'll just see this in the simple language in verse one. I'm going to read it again to you. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Let me see, I'm getting feedback here. Let's make sure the antenna is out. There we go. So, may God be gracious to us. That word gracious, what does it mean? It means that God is not obligated and we're not deserving, but he gives us a gift. That's what grace is, an unobligated, undeserving gift, but it comes to us anyway. What does it mean to be blessed? Like, that's a strong word. It means to restore, to make whole, to satisfy. And then it says to make his face shine upon us. Like, today the sun came out, right? I think so. It came out. I drove up from Iowa, but I saw the sun. When the sun comes out after a long, dark, depressing winter, Everyone smiles. Like you go outside, you love it. And the picture of God's face shining over us is is as if you realize for the first time the God of the universe looks at you with a smile and with joy and not with scorn and shame. His face shines over his people. His presence is for us. And the psalmist, the Hebrew psalmist from hundreds of years ago is praying this prayer. And he's praying for the people then. But we can still pray it today because we pray this through Jesus. And and so can we say these things are true? Has God been gracious to us? Come on. Y'all can talk. Has he been gracious to us? Man, has he blessed us? Man, does he make his face shine over his people? Yes. And so, man, think about how impressive this is. Like, if you walk out of here tonight, this is a cool church. You walk out of here and someone you don't know drives by and looks at you and you're like, dude, you're, and they just roll down their window and they're like, you're great. You're pretty cool. And you're like, thanks, but you're a creep. Like, I don't know you. Like, that doesn't change you if somebody that you don't know says something about you. But if you walk out of here tonight and someone who really means something to you calls you or texts you and says, hey, I was just thinking about you and I wanted you to know, you're amazing like you're one of the most important people in my life and I'm thankful to know you and I'm proud of you. Like you're going <laughs> to you're going to start to like just beam with joy, right? That's what happens when someone on earth speaks those words over you. What happens when the God of the universe who needs nothing from you or me says, "I have been gracious to you. I have blessed you. I have made my face shine over you." Everything starts to change. So guys, don't miss this tonight, because we're about to go quickly into how this grace changes us for the glory of God to the ends of the earth, which has a lot to do with mission and obedience and sacrifice, but I don't want you to hear tonight that God is going to love you so that he's only going to love you if you go out and serve him, because we already hear that message from the world all the time, right? Perform. Be better, be smarter, be prettier, be stronger, do more, and then I will bless you. Then I'll give you a name. Then I will like you. That is not the message of God. He says, I have been gracious to you, not because of anything you've done, but because of who I am. I've blessed you, not because of anything you can do for me, but because of who I am. I've made my my face shine over you because that is who I am. So if you hear nothing else tonight, hear that the God of the universe, not through angels, not through people, but through himself, comes to love his people. And he's not looking for you to produce so that he can love you. He just look, he's looking first for you to rest in his love. But That's not where this ends, right? Like, like, I don't know if anyone is an English major in school, but you don't have to be to read this psalm and appreciate that verse 1 ends with a, a comma. Not a period. So look at it again. What does it say? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, comma. And then there's this word in the Hebrew, Selah, that probably means pause. So we've paused appropriately. Let's go. Verse 2. So that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Do you see that significant pivot? He says, may God be gracious to you and bless you so that the ways of God would be known on earth and his saving power among all nations. All of a sudden, God says, the blessing that I put on you is not supposed to stay with you only. You're not supposed to be a cul-de-sac for spiritual blessings where everything stops with you, but you're supposed to be a conduit that pours out the blessings of God to all peoples. And not just all peoples around us, but it says all peoples, all nations, all lands, because God is worthy of the worship of all nations. Amen? Like, that's who he is. Like, imagine, I don't know what you were doing last week for Easter, but it, in, in Ames, we were baptizing people at church, and people were singing, there were thousands of people there. And it was just amazing. And I, and I imagine the fact that there are millions, in fact, there are billions of people across our globe that don't know the name of Jesus, that don't know that God has been gracious to them and kind to them. They don't know that this has happened. And Jesus, in this psalmist, even before Christ is coming, he's praying, he's praying, he's praying for them, he's praying for us. And he's saying, we've been blessed so that the way of God would be known, the way of God. Like, if you're starting to know the way of Jesus, doesn't that change everything? Jesus is gentle and lowly. Who else is like that when you have power and greatness? No one is gentle and lowly. When you have power and glory and wisdom and might, you want everyone else to bow down to you. But Jesus came in the opposite way to serve and to seek out those who were lost. He came after the brokenhearted. He came after the weak, the oppressed. He came after those that no one else cared about because he could, because he didn't need to prove his power, because he knew who he was. That's the way of Jesus a just and gracious king and he's saying you've been blessed with this knowledge you've been blessed because of where why why have you been blessed with it because you were born in a country where there's churches everywhere Man, mean there's lawsuits all around us but we have primarily been blessed with this way because of our geographical location I mean did you earn that did you choose your parents? Some of you are like, hell no. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that, but you know, you're like, no, I'm sorry, we can cut that later. You know, like I didn't choose I didn't mean to choose my I didn't choose my parents, and I could have, but I would chose different ones. You didn't choose your parents, your parents didn't choose their parents, and keep going. You're born, and this was the sovereignty of God that you were born in a place where there is the witness to Jesus everywhere, so that you, even if you just came to know the way of Jesus, this semester. You've still been thir- so blessed to have that in your life, right? Well, you're seeing the very heart of God. The very heart of God is to change a people so that as they experience His grace, they go to dark places where the grace of God isn't there. And so that the glory of God will start to change more people. And do you see the result? People sing praises. It says, let the nations be glad and sing with joy. This is not a message of oppression. This is not a message of let's conquer them. This is a message of freedom. The one who came to set the captives free, the one who came to give sight to the blind, the one who came to raise the dead, the one who will return to make all things new is saying, come and find life and freedom in him. And when you know that, you sing with joy. And so what God is after is this worldwide global movement of grace that changes people so that for eternity we will hear people from every tongue and tribe sing of the name of God. Man, that's amazing. Okay, so here's the question. Is this real? Like, is this just me as some missionary pulling out a chapter of the Bible and manipulating you guys by telling you this is the heart of God? Or is this actually the heart of God? Do we see this from Genesis to Revelation? That's the beginning and the end of the Bible. And do we see this through history? Do we see this? And so run with me for a moment through scripture and so that I can show you that this isn't just a one-off passage that I'm using, but this is just the center of the very heart of God to bless his people so that they can be a blessing to all peoples. And so we can go all the way back to the beginning. So I'm just going to read some of these to you. Um, You can write them down or go there. But Genesis chapter 12, one of the most important chapters in the Bible, because it introduces us to Abraham. And it's not because Abraham's really important. It's the promise that God's going to make over Abraham. And this is what God says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. There's the blessing, right? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's amazing. God comes to this man, and he says, I'm going to build a nation through you, but I'm going to bless you, but through you I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. That's 12 chapters into the Bible, guys, and that presents basically the framework for the entire story of the Bible, that God is blessing his people to be a blessing to all nations. So you fast forward and you find the people of God as slaves in a land of Egypt, and God comes and he's going to deliver them, but God doesn't just deliver them in one day. He delivers them through this incredible, spectacular outpouring of power and these 10 great plagues that happen, and this is why he does it. He says, I'm going to harden the heart of the Pharaoh, the emperor there, so that he won't let my people go, so that I can demonstrate my glory, not just for Israel, but for all the nations. So God does that 10 times showing his power, and then he delivers his people, and he leads them out of Egypt, and here's the next thing that happens, and I want you to see something because this happens over and over in scripture. God starts to put his people in these ridiculous situations so that there is no way for them to be delivered unless God shows up, so that there's no way for you and I to try to steal his glory. That's his MO, to put us in these places where only his grace can help, so that only his name will be glorified, so that all peoples will know him. So he leads the people of Israel right out of Egypt, and he leads them right to the, the edge of the Red Sea. That, that, does that sound dangerous? It's dangerous if there's a sea in front of you, and if there's an army of Egyptians coming behind you. So now you're trapped. So that's horrible strategy. Great, God, you led us to the Red Sea just to kill us here. But God did it so that he could split the Red Sea, and so that as the people of God went across the dry land, they could see the grace of God, and as they crossed, and then he put that water down on the army that was pursuing them to kill them, all the world would know that the greatest army in the world had just been destroyed by the God of Israel. God blessed them in order to glorify his name among all peoples. And, and so this would go on and on. There's stories after story. You can think, why would God send David, a a a, a teenager, a little kid, to go fight a, a, a giant so that his name would be glorified? Why would he send Daniel into the lion's den and, and the, lion wouldn't, the lions wouldn't eat him? Well, the next morning when the king saw that Daniel was alive and God had protected him, you know what the most powerful man on planet Earth did? He sent out a edict. It would have been a tweet, but it wasn't invented for 3,000 years. But he sent out a tweet that said, The God of Daniel is the one true God in all the universe. Everyone worship him. (laughs) Like, that's what happened. And so we have this guy named Solomon who is a king. He's David's son. And Solomon is wise. And God allows Solomon to build this great temple. And this temple is the center of everything that happens in the Old Testament. Everything. All the festivals. All the people would gather there and they would worship. And so at the dedication of this temple, the entire nation is gathered together. And Solomon, the wisest man who had ever lived up to that point, is praying. And this is what he prays. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires. What's that cause? He says that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. So here's Solomon praying in front of the entire nation at the most important day of the year and he says Lord maintain the calls you've given us that all the peoples of the earth would know that the Lord is God and there's no other A chapter later, or two chapters later, there's a queen that comes from the land of Sheba. That's North Ethiopia. And she comes to the temple, and she marvels at the wisdom and the riches of Solomon, and she gives glory to God because this promise is happening. And that's it continues on and on through the Old Testament. But we get to the New Testament, and the first words that Jesus says are repent and believe the gospel, the good news, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus shows up and says, I'm the Messiah. Repent and follow me, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. See, he says, I'm blessing you. Come to me, and I'm going to send you out on mission. And then you get this kind of weird moment. Like, if you've ever read stories around Jesus where you're like, that's strange. Those are a lot of those stories, right, with Jesus. One of the stranger stories is when he's at the temple, and he's having a pretty bad day, you might think. Because he's running people out, he's turning over tables, and he makes a whip, and no one will come through. You're like, what happened, Jesus? Like, did you eat a bad burrito today? Did Peter do something stupid? Maybe all of those things. But you wonder why Jesus is so angry, and he says it. In Mark 11, this is what Jesus says about the temple. He says, he wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything to the temple, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you made it into a den of robbers. So I would say, arguably speaking, the angriest Jesus ever got on earth was when he came to the temple and he saw the one place that was supposed to be for the nations to gather to pray and know God had been turned into a house of commerce and greed. And he cleansed it. And he says, I'm here for the nations. I'm here for the peoples. And so Jesus, after he dies and he resurrects, he is about to ascend to heaven and he says this, Go. Make disciples of all nations. Go. Make disciples of all nations, preaching forgiveness, repentance, and forgiveness in my name to all peoples. Those are his marching orders. Go. The Spirit of God will come upon you. And give you power when you're my witness. Go and make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. And so you see the early church birthed into that mission. They've been blessed by the grace of God, and they say, We exist for the glory of God among all people. So you start to see stories like Paul, who says, It's my ambition to preach Christ where he's not named. I have this burden to go, and he kept going to new lands. And the New Testament ends with this beautiful picture in Revelation. And I'll read it, and then we'll start unpacking this. This is the vision in Revelation. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So the last vision in the Bible that we see is all tribes, all nations, all families gathered around God because Jesus has died for them. And so God gave the church that vision so that we would know the promise that's awaiting us as we step out in obedience. So here's the question for us. What does that look like today? Like this was 2,000 years ago. We live in a day where you can get anywhere in the world in about a day and a half on a plane and a bus and a train and whatever else. Like my family, we're going to Indonesia this summer for two months. Like surely most people around the world must know about Jesus today, right? No. No. Like in this day in 2022, though there are almost 3 billion people who profess Jesus to be their Lord, and though some of those, quite a few of those are probably very nominal, there's still 7.7 billion people on planet Earth. And out of those people that are not Christians, most studies have shown that over 40% of them are what we would say are unreached peoples. And unreached people means you're born into a land, into a family, into a place where there is no Bible Bible. Almost rarely is there a Bible in your language, and there's almost certainly no church in your city or in your region. And so this is the percentage. Thank you for pulling that up there. If you go, if you go back, I forgot you had these. You can see a, yeah, so that, all of that orange or whatever color it looks like to you um, is what we call the 1040 window. And in that window is where the vast majority, almost 90% of the unreached peoples live. So you can see where that is, North Africa, the Middle East, Asia, and today, even though we can get anywhere, 40% of the world still is cut off from Jesus. I remember I was in college. Someone invited me to go to China, and I go, and I'm blown away because I grew up in a a farm town with 3,000 people, and I go to the city with 20 million. And, yeah, you get it, right? 3,000, 20 million. There's a little bit of a gap there. And so... I'm just incredibly blown away by the number of people, but I'm blown away by the interest and the desire on the students' hearts on, in these Chinese campuses that we were going to to talk about Jesus. And so after two or three weeks, we're there, and I remember being at this, uh, at, at, on the campus, and we were hanging out with students, and there were hundreds of them around, and I was sharing about Christ. And this girl looked at me and said, if what you're saying is true, that Jesus is the one true God, and through him and him alone, people can be made right with God then what about my grandparents who died as followers of Buddha? What about them? And what about their parents? Why didn't someone come and share with them? And I'm 21 years old, and there's about 40 people just listening to every word she's saying, and it's like someone just kicked me in the gut. And I'm like, I... I don't know what happened to your grandparents, but I know what happens today. And I know that your story can be written into Christ's story if you believe. But I remember leaving China that year and going back and saying, Lord, man, would you be so kind to let me spend my life? raising up labors, or going to those places where that doesn't happen again. And so, here's my question to us. Where would you be right now? I know you're here. Not. Where would you be right now, though, if someone hadn't started to invest in you? Where would you be right now if someone hadn't started praying for you? started inviting you to read the Bible, started caring for you, showing you the love of Jesus, where would you be, what would you be doing, and what despair would be conquering your heart? What hope would you be living for? What dream would be capturing your soul? How different would you be? We're all a part of this if you're in because Christ has sent people to love us. Even this psalm, right? This psalm was written in by a Jew for Israelites to pray for the nations. We are a part of the answer of this prayer, right? It's like we're not Jewish. So now we read this and we can see ourselves at the center of it, but the only reason we're in the middle of it is because people were obedient. So here's this clear picture in the scripture that we've been blessed to be a blessing, that we've been blessed to join the mission of God to make much of his name to all peoples. But let me ask this question. Why is it so stinking hard? Why is it so hard to keep the blessing of God connected to the purpose of God? Like, why is it so easy when we default to just want what we want to divorce the grace of God from the very mission of God? Right? Like, the danger here. The danger here is that we love talking about grace. We love talking about God's blessing over our lives. We love talking about all the things that God does for us and in us. We love talking about his promises. We love all the things that God will do to make much of us. That's why I started with that question at the beginning. Do we love more of what God does in us or are we more excited when God at great cost to his son through us does much for his glory? And the hard thing is that this isn't just an American thing. This is a human reality that we take the very promises and blessings of God and twist them and make them terminate on ourselves instead of springing up to glory and worship. And you know where this comes from. This goes all the way back to the beginning. God created Adam and Eve to be in his presence, to know his blessing, to know his grace, to know the face and the smile that would shine over them. But the enemy comes in and starts to lie And the first lie is the only lie that's ever been told because it's the lie that's repeated every single day to every single one of us. And that lie was God is not good and he doesn't want what's best for you. And he's trying to rob you of real freedom and joy. The lie that he whispered into Adam and Eve's heart and the lie that we continue to hear all the time is that God is not truly for you. And if you really release your life to him, you're gonna miss out. And so even as Christians, we still have to struggle with that distrust of God. There's this idea that if we put ourselves in his hands, we can weigh and count out all the ways that we think he would lead us in the wrong way. Even though if you just give half a second to thinking about that, that is the stupidest thing we could ever think of, right? How could the wisest, kindest, gracious, holy, perfect God lead you and I in the wrong way? And why would you and I make better gods than God? Do you? I don't. And yet we believe that lie. And so what ends up happening is we will be all in on taking all the promises, all the blessings, but we are great if it stops with a period. Lord has blessed us. He has made his face shine upon us. He has been gracious to us, period, because I deserve it. And then, man, when you live in our culture in America, we drink the Kool-Aid from a young age that tells us over and over and over, Everything is about you. You do you, men. Let no one stop that. And if God real is real, then let him serve you, because that's what life is about. And so what ends up happening when we believe that picture of Christianity, that distorted American dream, Christianized version of the American dream? Things start to fall apart really, really quickly. When we say, God, you owe me life, liberty, and happiness, not even the pursuit of happiness, but you just owe those things to me, things start to come undone. I'll give you two quick reasons they come undone. One, because material created things were never meant to satisfy your eternal soul. Material created things given to us by God for his glory were never to give you glory. They were never meant to give you glory. They were meant to be, be ways that you could enjoy the glory of God. And so no matter how much we double down on money, power, sex, reputation, those things will always continue to leave us wanting more. It's like being thirsty and turning to salt water. You can drink it. You'll be thirstier the next second. And then you'll drink some more, and then you'll be thirstier until it kills you. The things of this world were meant to be blessings to worship and honor God and to serve the needs of others. They were never meant to be a substitute for God. And so scarcity takes over. And whatever we did yesterday is not enough today. And whatever we do today won't be enough tomorrow. And so we'll always have to do more and more and more in order to please improve and validate ourselves in front of a watching world who's just as insecure as we are. That's one reason it doesn't work. And here's the second: Jesus won't let it work, because in this story, in that narrative, and that retelling that everything is about you and everything stops with you, you are the center of the universe, and God is your servant. And God will not be your butler to bring you the things that you really want, because that would be a disservice to you, and that would be dishonoring to His worth and His name and His glory. He loves you so that you can know him and enjoy him to the ends of the earth. He loves you so that you can serve and worship him. You're saying, is his love, does his love have ulterior motives? Yes, he loves you and it's pure and beautiful, but you are not the most important person on this universe. You are not the most important person in the world. It's God. And for him to live for you or I would be idolatry. And so he loves us so that we can know him and be made sat and be made full and whole in him. So when you see stories in the Gospels of Jesus interacting with people sometimes and just throwing these Gospel grenades that start to blow up their lives, this is what's happening. And one of my favorite moments is when there's this guy who's a rich, young ruler. So he's rich, he's young, he's a ruler, and it doesn't say it, but let's just throw it in. He's going to be good looking, because in that time, if you're rich, young, and a ruler, you're probably good looking. So he's got all the things he needs, right? Wrong, because... You find him in the story running up to Jesus, running up to Jesus and saying, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So, wait, you're rich, you're young, you're, you're good-looking, and you're a ruler, and you're still knowing that something's missing, something's lacking. And so he runs up to Jesus and says, what do I need to do? What, what's missing? Like, can you fix me? And, and not really fix me, can you just give me the last piece? Because I've done a pretty dang good job so far. I just need one more little piece. Can you show it to me? What do I need to do? He didn't say, change me, help me. He says, show me what I need to do. And Jesus says, well, you know the law. And he repeats the law back, like all the commandments, basically. And he says, you know, keep the law. And the man says, I've kept them since I was a youth, like all the law. And I think he's being serious, like this guy is moral too. So add that, like he's, he's a young, rich, good-looking ruler who's moral, like he's a religious person. And he says, I've kept the law. I've been passionate about obeying God. What, what else? And Jesus says, there's only one thing that's lacking, And so Jesus uses his economy, his words, because he says, what do I need to do? And Jesus says, you have one thing that's lacking. Sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. And follow me, and you'll have treasures in heaven. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Follow me, and you'll have treasures in heaven that will never fade. So I know there's a bunch of football players in here. I'm not telling you the story to connect because it's flag football. Here's the story. That doesn't connect, right? You're like, we don't play flag football. But I coach flag football. There we go. Um, and my son, I coach my son in flag football. And like, if you've ever coached seven, and eight-year-olds in flag football, it's like trying to herd cats. All right. Like giving them plays. They want to do the flea flicker every play. You're like, oh, please. Okay. Um, so, so I'm, but it's, this, it's, a, it's a Christian football league, so I, I get to coach him, which is fun, and I get to, we lose a lot of games and win a couple, and, but I, I get to tell them stories. I get to read the Bible and tell them stories. So I'm telling them this story, and I come to this point right here where Jesus looks at him and says, sell everything, give it to the poor, follow me, and you'll have treasures in heaven. And I say, hey, God, guys, what do you think? What do you think he did? And they're like, They look at me like I'm an idiot, which is not the first time, but they're like, well, duh, he sold everything, and he followed Jesus, and like every single one of them believed it, and so then I tell them, I'm like, well, joke's on you, because the story says that he walked away incredibly sad, and they all started to like throw things at me and boo me. They're like, what's wrong, man? You're lying. I'm like, read it. And they're like, we can't. I'm like, well, then trust me. You <laughs> Like, what's wrong? <laughs> this is what happened. But, but what in their mind, like in their mind, it did not make sense because the math didn't add up. They, they, see, they see Jesus offering this man everything if he will just leave these foolish little trinkets aside, lay them aside and follow him. And they can't understand why he would trade those things that he can't keep with him anyway. And, and and don't really satisfy why he would trade those things for why he would trade those things for not knowing Jesus. And so and so I think here's the thing with Jesus he knows that you can have everything in the world. You can be you can be it whatever it is, you can have it and be it. But if it's minus Jesus, you're the poorest person on this planet. But if you have Christ, And his grace, his undying grace, his eternal grace, and you have nothing else. You're the richest person for eternity. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so Jesus is not going to allow us to disconnect his blessing from his purpose because he loves you too much. Because you will only truly be blessed when you rest in his blessing and you say, Lord, I'm yours. And not just yours to sit here and worship, but I'm yours to join you in what you're going to do in me and through me to the ends of the earth. Amen? Like, it's too great a thing. Jesus doesn't want you to be on the sideline. He's inviting us to go with him so that we can watch the joy that springs out of our lives into other people's lives as they start to speak the name of Jesus for the first time. As they start to see the grace of Jesus. So what do we, how do we keep it together? How do we keep this blessing connected to the purpose because it's hard so let me let me invite you to think of grace again and in this in this chapter that we read in the middle of the psalm the most important verse is probably verse four where it says let the nations be glad let them sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon earth. He says, let the nations be glad, let them sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness, with righteousness and equity, and guide the nations. And so there's good news and there's bad news in that. The good news is that the nations need to hear that there's a righteous judge who is fair and good and faithful, that he will not not oppress, he will not hurt. He is always holy and good. That's good news, but there's also really bad news in that. This righteous judge has to judge evil. He has to swallow up what is wrong in the world. He can't just turn away from brokenness and injustice and lies and rebellion. He has to judge it or he wouldn't be holy. And so, guys, when we think about grace, do you appreciate that this grace comes from an unobligated judge? Like, he's not obligated to love you and me. Like, he's not greater or lesser if he has us. Like, he's obligated to be holy, to be loving, to be just, but he's not obligated to forgive. And let's be honest, you and I are not deserving. And you can play the game any way you want to before him, but on your best days, you fall short of his glory, just as I do. And on your worst days, we don't want to talk about those moments, neither do I. We're not deserving, he's not obligated, and yet... He still comes to be gracious, but how can a righteous judge be gracious to a sinful people, enter Jesus into the story? And do you ever thought, like, on the eve of Jesus being arrested and and whipped and crucified, why is he in the garden such a mess Like, why is he weeping and and, and sweating blood? And why is he saying, God, take this cup from me? Why is he crying out to God that way? Like, if you look at church history, there are thousands of records of men and women who die horrible deaths. People who are crucified, not just normal, but upside down. People who are skinned alive, burned at the stake, who did so with singing joy in their hearts. Who sang hymns to God, who gave praise to God even as they were burning. Why? Is Jesus, is he just weak? Is he a coward? Why was he in the garden crying? Because it wasn't wasn't the cross that he was weeping over. He knew what was coming. It was the fact that he was about to drink the cup of God's just wrath. That justice that had been piling up because God is holy and he sees the rebellion that's happening in our hearts all throughout the nations, all throughout history. Jesus knew that the cause for God to be gracious to us was that he would have to die for us. The cost for you and I to be blessed and to be made whole was that Jesus would have to be cursed and be broken down. You get it? There's no way for God to say, I bless you and I forgive you unless Jesus hears, I curse you and I push you away. That is the gospel and that is why this is the most life-changing message in the universe because Jesus the one who had all power and all comfort and all glory and who needed nothing left all of that willingly and lovingly in order to rescue you and me that's our story so what do we do what do we do can I just give you three quick quick kind of applications for this one thing we do is we pray we start to pray. This whole psalm is basically a prayer, right? May God bless you and be gracious to you and may he make his face shine upon you. Let all the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. The psalmist is praying, so let's join him in praying because no one goes to announce the glory and the grace of God who is not singing and enjoying the grace of God in their own life right here. So let's pray for that. Let's start to pray that the glory of God would consume our souls that we would be overwhelmed by his grace that we wouldn't be filled with shame or we wouldn't try to pay God back so that we can get out from under him but let us just pray and ask God for his grace to take our breath away and let us not just pray for our own experience, but let us start praying this prayer. Let us pray that the nations would start to be glad in Jesus. Let us pray that people will be changed. We are right now in the middle of Ramadan, right? April 1st to May 1st, millions, hundreds of millions of Muslims around the world are praying and fasting all day long. And it is through, through church history we have seen many stories that during Ramadan especially, Muslims have received dreams about Jesus and his worthiness, and they've come out of Ramadan and have sought to know the true king. Man, let us pray right now that those hundreds of millions who are fasting and praying all around the world who don't know Jesus to be Lord would see that Jesus is the one true king. Amen? let's pray for that. This summer, I'm taking teams from Salt Network to Indonesia, where they're the largest Muslim nation in the world. Let's pray that this summer, God does what he's promised to do, that he would build his church in Indonesia, that the preaching of the gospel by students just like you would be effective so that students in Indonesia who worship a different God would confess that Jesus is the one true king can we pray for that man let's pray for people in this church that are going to India they're moving their life to India to a city that is filled with millions of people and over 700,000 college students I know there's 250 here 250,000 college students in Minneapolis that's three times the amount in this city let's pray for them you're going to be hear- some of you are going to be hearing from them on Sunday, Nate and Lydia, about how they're moving their lives to preach the gospel in India, where there are literally millions of false gods being worshipped every day. Can we pray for 1.3 billion people in India to have their eyes open to the glory of Jesus Christ? Because that means for eternity, you will have brothers and sisters from India who will sing and dance around Christ. But they'll do it in their language and their way because they've met the same Savior. Amen. Let's pray for that. Man, we have a team going to Japan where there's 128 million people who live in Japan. And 127 million of those 128 million are not Christians. There's very few believers in this country, but the team is moving there in the next week to meet college students just like you and to share the gospel. Can we pray that the power of the gospel would change people in Japan and bring them to know Him? Can we start to pray that way? Man, Tony and others have prayed that God would do remarkable, extravagant things here, but that it wouldn't stop here; that it would spread to the ends of the earth. Let us pray that from what God's doing in this room, laborers would be raised up to go. To go, not just across the street, not just across the city, but across the globe for the glory of God. What better thing to waste your life on? (laughs) right what better thing to waste your life on than preaching Jesus so that for eternity so that in 4 billion years when you're sitting down at a coffee shop in the new heavens the new earth where the coffee will be great and you're and you're sitting there with someone who you came to know and who came to trust Christ from Indonesia or Japan or India or wherever and you're like man you're my brother <laughs> like that's never going to end it's going to only get better let's pray second thing let's plan to go okay Let's plan to go. Let's plan. Because this whole psalm is about obedience. This whole psalm is that we've been blessed to go. So can we plan to go? I don't know how you're supposed to go. And I'm not telling you I know the will of God for you. But I can tell you that every single believer has a part in God's great commission to make his name known to among all peoples. So plan. Plan to use whatever gifts God's given you, your money, your talents, your strengths, your witness, your story. Plan to use it for the glory of God to the ends of the earth. Plan to go until he tells you to stay. And if you stay, send more people. And when you're staying, reach more people. But plan to go. You know that there are 8,000 languages in the world that don't have a Bible translated into their language yet? You know how crappy that would be to not be able to open the Bible and read the promises of God? Some of you in here are stupid smart. Why don't you plan to go and translate a language, the New Testament, into that language? Plan to invest your life somewhere where people aren't worshiping Jesus. And if God tells you to stay, well, then he told you to stay, but otherwise plan to go. And the last thing, trust the promise of God. This psalm ends this way with the promise. It says, the earth has yielded its its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. That's a promise. God's coming back, and he's going to keep his promise. People from every tongue and tribe and nation will know him. I've seen God keep this promise. He'll continue to keep his promise. A few years ago, we're in this Remote part of China, and we have Chinese students with us who have trusted Christ, who are disciples of Christ now. And we have American students, and we're going to these villages, village by village, trying to meet people. And we're going into these tribes where there's not a Christian, no believer, no Bible, and we're meeting people and sharing the gospel. And every time we go into a village, it's the same. Thank you, but we're good. We have our rain God, we have our ancestor God, we have our money God. We don't need this. And and I mean, and it's just a week. Some people spend their life doing this. And at the end of the week, with a lot of frustration, we're like, we have one more village to go to. And so we go into this village and we go into this man's home. And, and by home, we're sitting outside in this little garden area where he has his animals. And we start to talk with him about Jesus. and And he gets up and runs off. I'm like, well, that's a pretty lame way to end the week. But, yeah. And so he runs off and... And he comes back out of a, his house with this piece of paper, and he hands it to us, and he says, do you know anything about these people? And I look at the paper, and I see Mary, mother, Je- the mother of Jesus holding baby Jesus. And I say, how did you get this piece of paper? And he said, well, 20 years ago, some Chinese... Cr- people came into my village, because he's not Chinese, he's this minority group. He says, they came into my village, and, and, or I was out of this market, and they came, and they gave me this piece of paper, but then they had to leave before they could explain. I'm like, that only happens in movies, but apparently it happens now, and so they gave him the paper, and they're like, hey, the, the baby's a big deal, but they didn't tell him They didn't tell him, so he said for 20 years he had been asking if there was anyone up there, if there's a God, that he would send someone to him to explain who the baby was. So he looks at me and says, is the baby a big deal? And yeah, I had to go to seminary to get their answer right, right? (laughs) No, I'm like, the baby's a big deal. The baby grew up to be king, to be redeemer, to be lord. And I shared the gospel with him and he's just weeping and I'm weeping and then he's like what must I do now and we're like believe and he's like I believe (laughs) I believe what else he's we're like let's baptize you and so we baptize him and he becomes the first person in that people group to ever trust Christ does God keep his promise is he coming back is he coming to bless yes church I don't want to be on the outside looking in on this I want to be at the center of this because this is the grace of God. This is the glory of God. This is what he's created us for. This is what he saved us for. This is what he sustains us for so that we would know his love and that we would be a vessel that shares that love with people who are asking the same questions you were asking. Can I pray for us? Father, in heaven, we come to you through the name of Jesus. And we rejoice that you have been gracious to us, that you have blessed us, that you have made your face shine upon us. That's not a small thing at all. And so, Lord, I know there's some in here that haven't tasted of that goodness yet. And they haven't trusted that, Jesus, you are life. And I pray, Lord, that tonight your spirit would call them to you. And that you would grant them life and forgiveness forever. And I pray, Lord, for those that have tasted and seen that they would be overwhelmed that there's a comma in this psalm. That you don't just bless us to put us on the sideline, but you bless us in order to send us out as you go with us. As our grace, as our glory, as our guard. As you go with us to work through us for your glory to the ends of the earth. I know that's scary but lord give us courage let us remember that you're not asking us to go anywhere that you're not going let us remember lord that we already have everything we need in you and that this world could never rob us of that for your name jesus raise up men and women in this room who will spend their life praying and going and trusting that your promises are always true and Lord, for eternity, may we rejoice with all nations that you are glorious. I pray this in your mighty name.